0: On this episode of Engineer Your Career, we talk with Megan Krieger, a research mechanical engineer at the U.S. Army Engineer Research and Development Center Construction Engineering Research Laboratory. Megan works on pushing the boundaries of 3D printing through additive construction of buildings in varied terrain and environments. She has led projects to create complex concrete structures, including barracks and bridges, through 3D printing. Megan holds a bachelor's degree in mathematics and a master's degree in material science and engineering from Michigan Tech. Megan is passionate about her work, and as you'll hear, she wants everyone else to find their career passion, too. Welcome, Megan, to EYC. Welcome, everyone, to the next episode of Engineer Your Career. Uh, I'm, I'm Brendan Timrak. I'm here, thank goodness, joined by Troy Bauman.
1: Hi. Welcome, everyone. Next episode. Glad you're listening in. Hopefully you're uh, yeah having a, having a great time listening to the, the stories of the many awesome people that we continue to have on the show. So we're really, really excited to continue that um, in this series.
0: Yeah. Problem solvers, just like we had to do for the past like 30 minutes to actually be able to record this episode today. Mm-hmm. It's never yes. never an easy life, podcasting. Always building stuff, but that's who we have on our show today. Is someone who's been building some really cool things that we're excited to talk about. Uh, we've got Megan Krieger with us. Megan, welcome on the show.
2: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Yeah, we're really we're really excited to have you on. I've been uh been wanting to have you on here for a little bit, and I'm glad we had the opportunity because we. Uh Megan and I spent a little bit of time um, working on some stuff back in college, and I'm sure we're, we'll we'll talk about that a little bit, but that's led you to some pretty awesome places.
2: It has. It really grew from there, my whole path. So it's it's really what started basically my entire figuring out what I wanted to do for a career. That's awesome.
1: Well, I guess to try to transition into that, we might as well bring everyone up to speed. Um, can, you, can you kind of give us your origin story, Megan? How'd you get to what you're doing today?
2: So if we take, if we go all the way back to say high school, you know, when you're in high school, you like different things. You don't really have a lot of experience with being in different fields. Um, So you go based on what you like. And I really liked math. I took all the math classes I possibly could in high school. I graduated a semester early in high school. Everyone said you should be an engineer. And I said, okay, that sounds interesting. Let's try being an engineer. So I I ended up going to Michigan Tech, which uh, was quite a ways away from home because I grew up in Montana. Um, And at Michigan Tech, the reason why I went, you know, as a kid, one, engineering, good, that's what I was going to do. Two, they had a ski hill on campus that you could snowboard on, and I really wanted to learn how to snowboard. And aside from that, Michigan Tech has a great program for all types of disciplines of engineers. So I went in to Michigan Tech as a mechanical engineer starting out. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I thought maybe I would go into aerospace or something and was really kind of viewing undergrad as I was going to find my path. And I went through, did the first year as a mechanical engineer. And then I went for the summer to go work at a company that specialized in center metallurgy in Wisconsin. And so I... um. I was actually working as a factory worker because it was a lot of money for working during the summer. It was something like $11 an hour plus extra for because I worked night shifts. And so I worked a really terrible job. And it gave me perspective on how bad a working environment could be. So, like, uh, what we were doing was amazing. Like, we were taking powder metals, turning them into car parts. But the conditions were like you were working in 105 degree factory settings for 12 hours straight with limited breaks. And, um, you're viewed kind of just as a grunt. And so I, I ended up actually burning myself. I was reaching down to, cause I, cause part of the job that we were doing was to do inspection and quality for parts, because that's part of the factory job. Um, And so we had these gloves on, we'd reach down, grab parts, inspect them, put them in, do some tensile tests on them. We'd do different other kinds of quality tests. Uh, And one day I reached down and grabbed a part and my wrist touched the part next to it. And parts come out of the, uh, the furnace at several, you know, at over a thousand degrees. Um, and so, uh, honestly my experience there, um, it it ended up pretty being, memorable. It was pretty memorable. And I remember the, the engineers and the scientists that worked at the factory, they were like, well, we don't think theoretically, essentially, that you could have burnt yourself. You must not have been following protocol. And they pulled out these gloves out of a cabinet that no one had ever used before. Um, they were still like in the package. And they said, these are what you're supposed to use. They go all the way up to your shoulders. I'm like, uh, no. Um so it kind of they offered me back for an internship for basically a, ma- a material science internship and I didn't want to go back. I said I I was I I felt like a number and I said I don't want to feel like a number anymore. Um if engineers view people as numbers, then I have a problem with engineering. Uh which as we progress to the story that's awfully ironic uh just because of where I am today So I went back to school and said, well, I know I love math. Why I came in, I had uh, different professors tell me over time, like, you know, you can go into math and take a path down engineering if that's where you want to go, or you can go into math and do a specific scientist type role. And so being young, you know, I I was like, okay, let's do math. Uh, And... Math when you do it in college is much different than math when you do it in high school. So I kind of divide it into like there's a practical level of mathematics that everyone should know. And then there's the step beyond that, which the people that really like math know. And then there's the step beyond that, which uh, you're unlikely to ever use again in your entire life. And so that's where you go when you get a math degree.
1: You start questioning number systems and <laughs> one plus one actually equal one or can it equal yes. three?
2: Prove that one plus one equals one, uh-huh. um, you know, go through and do a geometrical proof as to why a squared plus B squared equals C squared, like, um, and then well beyond that into, you know, calculating volumes of very complicated objects. And basically, abstract algebra, uh, combinatorics, how many different combinations can you find for one specific thing? And then, well beyond that. Um, and yeah. so I went down that path, and I've always had an interest in animals, which is an interesting thing. So, I okay, so picture, you know, a 18, 19 year old, 19 year old kid doesn't exactly know what they want to do. So they, they lean back on what they know. They, so I liked math. I liked animals and I thought I liked statistics. And so I decided I was going to kind of at least start moving in the direction of, uh, going into something like animal behavior. And, (laughs) and so when I did that, um, There's lots of really cool things about animal behavior. There's everything from like how different medicines affect people to uh, how animals behave in groups and how that can be explained mathematically uh, all the way to the DNA that that people and animals have and how you can trace that and what you can predict from that. And I got really interested in animal behavior through a mammalogy course at Michigan tech, because the, there were two professors that uh, they specialized in the wolf and moose relationship on Isle Royal. Um, and so they go through and they would, they would collect scat. So wolf poop and moose poop, and they would analyze how many different wolves were on the Island, as well as how many moose and, and what the, uh, basically the health of the Island was. And the class really got in depth on that, um, as well as other topics. And so I kind of was, was leaning towards, okay, I'm going to go into animal behavior or something like actuarial, where we're talking about statistics and probability, you know, the, the math that makes sense, uh, for most normal people. Um, this
1: is your second year.
2: That's my second year. Okay. Yeah. And Great. so I, I just went down that path and yeah. I, I kept going. Um, and I I ended up getting a, a bachelor's in mathematics with a minor in psychology. And that's because Michigan Tech created a custom minor for me uh, for animal behavior. So it was it's technically psychology, but it's animal behavior uh, were all the classes underneath it. So I took things like mammology, conservation biology, uh, inorganic, organic biochem, like some, some of it was pretty heavy. Others, uh, other parts of it were more like applications based. Uh, but that's what I graduated with. Um, that is a
0: really unique (laughs) and interesting combination. Like
2: it is awesome that you were
1: able to find that. Like yeah, find that path that you could walk that. That's great.
2: Yeah. So what happened after that point was I graduated in 2009, which was the worst year possibly to graduate ever. Um, and graduating with a bachelor's in math was was not a good year to graduate with a bachelor's in math. So during 2009 was during the recession um, when a lot of people who had a lot of experience were looking for work and were taking jobs at lower salaries just to have a job. Also, there were a lot of young people who had no experience that were getting pulled into internships uh, to fill the role of more of the long-term job. Uh, and so the newly graduated bachelor's students in 2009 were kind of out of luck. Um, and so I went and, and spent a year off of school uh, looking for work, as did my husband. We applied to hundreds of jobs. and basically everyone was either looking for someone with lots of experience or you were an intern. Um, and you had to have like a a student status to be an intern, so it didn't really work. And so I, I kind of s- had a hard year trying to find work and thought, well, what do I actually want to do? What's interesting? Um, And so I started thinking about uh, plastic bags and how plastic bags create a lot of waste, which will, because Brennan kind of went into an area similar to that when he was in college is, is interesting. Um, And so I was thinking about how could you like compress plastic bags to make a fabric type thing that you could recycle to use for something else. Um, And so my husband decided he was going to go back to Michigan Tech for uh, a master's in structural engineering. And I decided I would go back and try out material science. So because I got a bachelor's in math, um, that basically meant I had uh, I had to take postgraduate courses uh, in order to get into the engineering program. And so during that time, uh, I kind of viewed it as Well, if I take some classes in material science, and if I don't like it, then it's just a postgraduate class. I haven't committed to anything yet. And so I started taking uh, the introductory level materials courses, and I absolutely loved it. What ended up happening was I was older than most of the other people that were in the introductory level materials course, because at that point, I was something like 22, you know, and most people going into introductory materials are, are 18. Uh, And so when I went in, I was like, man, this is awesome. Why did I switch from mechanical engineering from the beginning? Because I had actually just started taking the required introductory materials course when I switched in undergrad. And so I think if I would have, if I would have probably stayed in that class, I may have pivoted earlier. But who knows, it's kind of almost random. Um, So I fell in love with material science, and decided I was going to choose that as a master's degree. And so then I went about trying to find a professor that would take me on. Uh, And like I said, I was interested in kind of the recycling of, of post consumer materials. And so One professor was interested in me and discussed me working with them on photovoltaics. And I started to go down that path, Uh, but there was another professor that came along, Dr. Joshua Pierce, who had just started at Michigan Tech and was looking for students. He was also interested in photovoltaics. So I went and talked to him as well, since I was interested in basically things that are good for energy savings, Um, and so Dr. Pierce decided to take me on as a student, as my thesis advisor. And I was, I was his first student at Michigan tech. Um, when I started talking with him, he had asked what I was interested in. And so we started working through, uh, like a photovoltaics course. And I took, I took one of those courses and I did a paper on, um, The Recycling of Silane Gas for Photovoltaics, Uh, because we had discussed that as a master's degree, you can do a couple different options. You can either do where you write a series of papers and squish them all together to make a master's thesis, or you can just do one big topic. And so uh, we did the piecewise meal. So we we took this first section that would be on recycling silane gas, which is a, a volatile uh, material and it'll, it like will explode, you know, if you treat it wrong. So it's it's an interesting thing to think about recycling. Uh, <laughs> but when I started working with, with Dr. Pierce, he had just kind of started forming the, uh, the Michigan Tech version of the open source technology group. Uh, he had previously at his other university started a group like that and had it well formed and was starting it at Michigan Tech as well. So we started getting in 3D printers. Uh, And so this is really where I would say my my career actually started to take shape. And so this is like, you know, five years into trying to figure out a career. it's funny that
0: it can take like that, that long to figure something out. Like you've talked about, you know, before you went into college being like, I don't know what I want to do. I guess I'll do this. And then hands-on experience switching, switching, (laughs) switching. And then it's not until you're like later on until you're out of college, you're or out of at least undergrad and trying something new that you're like, this might be what I actually want to do.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, there's, there's an infinite number of paths you can take. Right. And you have to, you have to one, get exposure to the idea that the path exists but you also too have to be in a place to understand that. Like you can't, like for example, you can't teach a, a child calculus because they're not in a place to understand it. And the same is true with career paths. You can't show someone a career path if they're not in a place to accept it. And it sounds like to some extent you were, because I mean you were excited about math and these other things. And so even I, you know, like your point about if you took the material science class at that point, would you have got excited about it? Who knows? You know, who knows if you would have been in a place to accept it and be excited about it. And so. It's, it's, a, it's a hard thing because you have to not only realize it's a possibility, but also be in a place to acknowledge its power and its, its potential influence on you. But it sounds like that started to really take form here once you started looking at these 3D printers. And-
2: Absolutely. So, yeah. So, so Dr. Pierce was all about 3D printing. Um, and so they were trying to develop like, uh, you know, a 3D printer that could operate off of photovoltaics, uh, other things like that. And, um, he said, I'm not, I honestly, I'm trying to remember how it, how it ended up happening. We had talked about recycling polymers and printing with them. And he had mentioned that one of his previous students at his other university had started what they called a recycle bot, uh, which would take shredded materials and turn it into Uh, a a plastic that 3d printers can use called filament Um, basically it's a long strand and i started working towards that and wrote another paper about distributed recycling and in this process too i decided to get a graduate certificate in sustainability since that really was was the thing that tied a lot of this together Um, And so I learned out how to do like life cycle analysis in school and be able to uh, assess how much carbon emissions, um, greenhouse gas, how much history something has associated with it. And then from there, I did more research, um, working with Brennan as well on basically 3D printing. So is 3D printing, is it green? Is it something that we should be doing to save energy and save material? And so we went through and printed a number of objects and printed tensile bars and did tensile testing on them and, and 3d printing back then. So that was in, that was in 2011, 2012, 3d printing in 2011, 12 was, it was only for the biggest of geeks honestly, it's, it was like every single time you print something you're going to be there. For hours trying to troubleshoot, like the filament would clog because there were no good filament manufacturers back then. You know, it was just a bunch of hobbyists doing it just to do it. And all of those struggles of troubleshooting made me fall in love with 3D printing because it it was constant. It was like a love-hate relationship of man, I just need to level this bed, but I need to tighten four bolts to do it and do it with this other independent action. And you got to rig everything up so that it works just right for printing. And I learned so much about just how to fix things, how to troubleshoot all of the different things that can go wrong. And
1: that's some of the best career advice. Find the job where you <laughs> love the struggle
2: exactly it's i mean if it's always good how do you understand that it's always good Uh, it's
1: never always good there's always i mean there's always struggle in jobs right i mean it's unavoidable for those issues so like yeah that i mean that's great when you when you realize you're you're doing something and getting paid for it and it's hard and you're enjoying it like boom and you're learning a lot too you know like when stuff
0: breaks that's when you learn things I think like uh I mean I, I definitely remember being there in those times and it was very frustrating in a lot of ways but you also felt like because it was new uh you're like creating content for things of like we solve this problem. We can go share it somewhere. Cause we learned something that like no one else knew at that time. Cause it was all like, it was all people kind of hacking stuff together. And I think in, in general and in any terms, like, you know, if you're breaking stuff and learning and, and the only person who's there to solve the problem is you, that can be a really, awesome, a really awesome experience, especially if you love it. If you don't love it, then, then it might be the worst job for someone. But when you do, it's awesome.
2: Yeah. And you know, when we were, when we were printing stuff in there, you know, and we were printing tensile bars, nobody else was thinking about printing tensile bars. I remember we reached out to the big, the big 3d printer companies at the time, which there were only like, there was only the one really, except for the, the open source ones. And they, they sent us tensile bars to test, but you could tell it was like, why are you doing this? It, it, it was so before print 3d printing was really ready that, uh, that it was, it was interesting. And, and just like, the things like if you print with yellow filament, it might be different than if you print with red. Like all of that kind of stuff was just really intriguing from a both a math point of view as well as science and engineering. And so, you know, and Brennan was working on trying to basically iron pieces of plastic together.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was I was welding garbage bags together. That was yeah, that was another interesting time. That must have
1: smelled atrocious.
0: <laughs> it, it didn't actually, we used like a laser welder. It was, it was, it was very interesting system. Was, that was the first system I feel like, like optimized. I was like my own manufacturing line, but anyway.
1: So Megan, um, were you, were you taking like, I guess help me understand the structure of your master's research versus coursework. Were you 50, 50 research, 50, 50 coursework, I guess.
2: So what I did is I ended up taking the post-grad courses before I started research. And then I was taking I believe I was taking 50, 50, uh, coursework and research. And I graduated, um, after the post-grad courses, I did my master's in one year. Um, so it was very fast.
1: Yeah. sounds super fast. Okay. So that's great. So you're starting, you're getting, you're approaching graduation. You got this Mm -hmm. new excitement for 3d printing. You, you're getting to have a master's. The job outlook is, I guess that would have been what, 2012, 2011. So it's getting better. So I guess help, help me understand, um, how you approach this idea of how do I find the job in this area that I know that I love? So Uh, that I'm excited about, no, maybe not that I know that I love, but you're at least really excited about.
2: So yes, absolutely love 3d printing. Um, you know, we considered, uh, staying for getting a PhD and, you know, by that point it would have, we probably would have enjoyed getting a PhD and going that route, but we decided that we wanted to get, some experience. And so I got pregnant and right that was near graduation. So that was not exactly the best timing. I feel like life always throws you like these these little curveballs just to see what you'll do.
1: Yeah, kids are um, a huge huge curveball and there's yes. never a good time for them, but they're a blessing. <laughs> but yeah, for those listening, curious about when to get pregnant. There's never going to be a good time. Never a good time. Right. And that, that'll be that'll be the theme of of dealing with with kids <laughs> is they're just they're constantly testing you, but you're loving every minute of the struggle. Yeah. So
2: <laughs> so luckily that was the second kid. So I okay. I did have a kid. Actually, I completed my master's degree with a child, a baby. Um. Because I, yeah. Yeah. That'll it was busy. Crazy. Wow. So I did my master's degree in one accelerated
1: year. masters with a
2: wow. That's yeah. wow, I guess yeah. Yeah. You so, just don't
1: sleep, I guess, right? I mean is that
2: Yeah, I mean, wow. the most efficient time of my life, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so That's... so second kid pregnant right before graduation, so that was I graduated in December uh, of 2012, and I, w- I was due in March of 2013. And I was thinking, there's no way. I'm going to get a job because I'm going to have a baby in like three months. Uh, and so honestly, I was like, my husband just needs to find a job. We'll figure out a job for me after we get over just the last part of pregnancy. And I went to a conference to present the work before graduation in in about uh, November. And I went to a conference to present the distributed, uh, manufacturing as well as the distributed recycling papers that I had put in my thesis. And there was a little job fair booth there. Uh, And I, I figured I'll just walk over there. I'll see what the job postings are. It was one where they usually have all the little flyers in the, in a bunch of little compartments and you just pull them out and then you apply to them later. So I went there and I was like, okay, I'll grab I'll grab some things for my husband and I'll grab some things for myself if I see anything. And I grabbed a number of things. And as I was walking back to the conference, there was a table that said, Oh, rise on it. I had no idea what that was. Uh, I walked over there because the lady had said, Hey, come over here, come here, come talk. And I was like, okay, sure. Random occurrence. Right. Um, I went over and talked to her And she said, you know, we're the O-RISE program. And what we do is basically we find, we connect people who are looking for work, uh, usually post-grad students that are looking for work uh, with various different agencies around the U.S. And so I had no idea what she meant. So I talked to her more. And she said, you know, there's this place in Champaign that is looking for someone who knows about energy efficiency and kind of like the life cycle analysis approach. And so I was like, well, okay. And she said, and we're also looking for, you know, a structural engineer type civil engineer background for doing building envelopes. And so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll give you both of our resumes, right? Thinking that, Nothing was going to happen because of it. Uh, and we got a call from, from the Engineer Research and Development Center, Construction Engineering Research Lab. Uh, and it was for my husband. And it was a day. It was like a day after I gave him the resume. And he had an interview and um, it, he had like an interview like a day later and was basically accepted. Did
1: you wow. get your husband jobs. Wow. Wow.
2: Just by dropping a resume on a desk. Yep, that's um, awesome. And so he, he was chosen for doing like it was like windows studies for creating like um, it, it was like thermal bridging problems of windows and how do you create the structure to prevent thermal bridging. And so I didn't get a call until a week later. And then a week later, I got a call. I interviewed And then they hired me too. So we were, we were hired on as a
1: week later. uh, Like, Oh man. like Amazing. There's many people out there that I'm sure would kill for a week callback on on giving someone a resume. That's awesome. So that,
2: so that ended up being a a postgraduate fellowship is what it's called. So you're not really an employee. You're, you're paid a stipend and you do research and it's a It's a great way to get in the door to learn basically how the workplace works, um, what kind of tasks there are there, what the priorities of the place are and so it's kind of like it's a transition point, I would say. so lots of people do like O rise positions for working with all kinds of government agencies and some people do it for a few months other people do it for a couple years so
1: so O-Rise is not a recruiting firm. It's no. a program through the yes. government to give yep. people trials in government organizations.
2: Exactly. Got and it. so okay. through O-Rise, we were able to get fellowships, which basically meant we had a stipend to do postgraduate research.
1: Okay. Got it. Yeah.
0: And then you. So these were both with the Construction Engineering Research Laboratory, which is yeah. a a part of the Army itself, or Uh, How how does that fit in?
2: Yep. So at the time, I didn't understand it because in the government, there's a lot of acronyms and uh, people just fed me acronyms and that's fine. Um, I work for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, Engineer Research and Development Center, Construction Engineering Research Lab. So what that means is that we are the research arm of the Army Corps. So the Army Corps typically does a lot of like the big projects that you typically associate with the Army Corps for the engineering research and development center. We do a lot of basic research as well as applied research, trying to dig in deep and, and solve the world's problems. So, you know, if you have for say disaster relief, if you want to find a better way to do disaster relief, that's something that we would work on. So different kinds of buildings, different kinds of um, logistics type paths in order to accomplish some kind of goal. Um, And so a lot of our projects end up dealing with the military as well as the, as well as civil work. So doing a lot of disaster relief and flood relief. So I didn't know any of that when I graduated. Um, I was happy to have a job, you know, and then about so I, I worked there as a post grad for a little over a year before this 3D printing project came up. And uh, in my first year, I really I was trying to take kind of the Dr. Pierce view at at work. I was trying to say, we need 3D printers, guys. These are going to change the world. Like, let's buy some. Let's see what we can do. Let's let's create these little mock thermal bridge setups with 3D printing to be able to show people what we're talking about instead of just modeling it. Uh, and so I convinced some folks to buy 3D printers and started a 3D printing lab at uh, Erdickstroll is what we call it. That's the acronym.
0: You, so they, they weren't doing this and you you were like, I want to do this. Let's do it. And they're like, all right, Megan, we, we believe in you. Let's do it.
2: Yes. They, they said, awesome. you seem so passionate about this. Let's try it. And so... Like a year into that, so I've got, I've got a printer that I'm able to create little models with, um, year into that, there is a, a person who started a research program called the Automated Construction of Expeditionary Structures Program. And that was created by Dr. Mike Case, who is retired now, but when he started it, he thought I need someone who knows 3D printing because the whole foundation of this program is 3D printing concrete. Good That's job. What the it whole wanted.
1: foundation of it. I like um, it. I caught it. I caught it.
2: <laughs> and so I, I had said, sure, I would love to do that. I want to do 3D printing. I never in my wildest dreams had imagined I would be 3D printing in concrete. But overall, it, it ended up being quite ironic because my husband did concrete all throughout his master's degree. And so I'd constantly heard all the things about how to mix concrete and how to test concrete, as well as my original path was down, you know, potentially a material science uh, realm. And so they hired me as a, as a full-time civilian employee to be a research mechanical engineer, despite the fact that I'm a materials engineer. You've gone
0: back to, um, back to, where, back to where you originally started back all this over. back to mechanical. Okay.
2: Back. Yeah. Wow. So you can have a material science degree and be a mechanical engineer. That's, that's how things work. Um, yeah, one
1: big theme of the podcast is that titles are horrible at describing titles what anything horrible. actually does. <laughs> <laughs> Even though they're the main thing people search when looking for jobs, they're really almost irrelevant.
2: Yeah. So, so <laughs> now, you know, I started in this, this 3d printing concrete program and I was a newly hired employee. I was very, very excited. And so the, Dr. Mike Case told me, said, treat this three-year, four-year program like a two-year program. Try to get as much done as fast as you can. So I said, okay, let's do it. And I worked with a number of awesome people early on, like Bruce McAllister and Russ Northrop, and they they worked with me to build the first large scale printer at the facility. And so we just like, we did the whole, what's called rep wrap type mentality is you just buy stuff and you put it together and you make it work. Um, and so we, we even had like, so we bought like a gantry crane frame and put it up there and put wheels on it, put like rack and pinion on it and got some stepper motors and, they were doing a remodel on the building and they had some spare window frames. We took some of that down and used that for like mounting our rack and pinion on the printer. Um, And so it was crazy. And we, we basically created an entire large scale printer over a couple months. (laughs) And, and
1: what kind of dimensions are we talking like large scale?
2: We're we're talking that's large scale in my head. It's the, the, the minimum bar of large scale. So it's like four foot by four foot by four foot.
1: Okay.
2: Uh, ish. And then we had to wait for like a concrete pump to show up to even start printing out of concrete. So we started designing the next printer immediately after that, got some students in from U of I, like Jacob Wagner. And um, we like, we pulled everything together and design decided when we design these things, we're going to design them for large scale. Like, Most people look at like construction 3D printing like, oh, it's just a 3D printer that's big. I wanted to take it and say, I want something big. What does the 3D printer have to look like? And so we designed our printers fully around the idea of we're not going to have precision threaded rods and because you can't have that out in a, uh, expeditionary setting out in the dirt and out in the sun. Like those things will just fail. I'm like, (laughs) if I have that much problems in a lab environment in grad school, trying to get an extruder to go, there's no way I'm going to take the same stuff and put it out in, you know, a dirty environment. It's just not going to happen. And so we took all this stuff and just, um, You know, we went with the second version, we ran through a lot of models and and decided that we were going to take this approach of let's make it durable, let's make it hardened, let's make it uh, easy to replace stuff on. And a lot of those things are really tied in closely with the military's priorities, which is when you have soldiers on the ground, if something breaks, they're just going to fix it with what they have so you don't want to have something that they can't replace. So we took that whole model and applied it to the military and basically we within a couple of years we were able to produce the the first full-scale 3D printed concrete building in the Americas. And it's a 500 square foot building and and we did that all of our researchers who had only really conceptually talked about building houses before and so like <laughs> We were able to do something on a massive scale with a lot less hard labor than than what you would traditionally do it with. And we solved all kinds of problems along the way. And it was just like the rep-rap mentality. It was the, if something breaks, fix it, fix it better. And if you're gonna do something, fail early, fail often, you know, learn from your mistakes. And really that has been kind of the, the whole Concept of the that early project, and because of the role that I took through the many years of of accelerating this kind of technology, now I'm a I'm a program manager for uh, additive construction, so 3D printing concrete and other materials. And really, I mean, when you listen to that whole spiel, all of that was by chance, honestly. Um, it was, you know, from a encounter with Dr. Pierce, if I never would have met Dr. Pierce, I don't know if I would be in the field that I am today. Um, because he was so influential on my life. And so it's, it's one of those things where you have to be in the right state of mind with the right people around you and the chance opportunities in order to get there. So,
1: One big attributing thing. So just listening to your story, one big arching theme, though, that I really love. I mean, it, it happened two times critically, but this idea of following what you love. I mean, whether it was your first year as a mechanical engineer saying back, like, okay, what do I love? I love math. I'm going to go into math. And then once you're done with that, like, okay, what Like, what am I interested in? What are this plastic bag thing? This, like you, you kept in moments of struggle of, of thinking about your path, like you always went back to what do I enjoy doing? And you, you created an opportunity around that. And from, from that, we're able to come into your role today. And so I, I I love that. I love, I love that thought. I mean, it's, it's always hard. I mean, people, people, I think we'll tell people all the time, like, do what you love. Uh, I think there's even books on do what you love and the money will follow. And it's a hard rhetoric at face value, because I mean, there's an obvious contrary to that of like, I'm trying to do what I love, but I can't find a job. And so this isn't working And like, I get that. Like that's that like, it sucks. It, it's got It didn't happen to me, but I know people that like they have something that they love, but they can't make money doing it. And that's got to suck. And I, I don't, I don't mean to belittle that situation, but in general, it's, it is a good theme to have when you're starting to try and look at what you love and create opportunity around that and hard work, but I mean, also creating opportunity around that to, to, to create your path. I mean, you do that, whether it's, you know, going to these random booths at, at, at at the conferences. I mean, you, you were making opportunity around what you love and you might as well start there. I mean, cause worst case, you know, you have to go do something um, that you don't like, but even for a while, I don't know. So I just, I'd love that theme. I, I, it really struck out to me in your whole story. And I really, really want people listening to, to think about that. Um, and if you don't know what you love, I guess that, that that's, that's kind of a harder thing too. Cause I think there are some people out there that if you ask them, Hey, what do you love? Um, they may say, I don't know, but you even did that too with, well, I like math like that. I mean, I think there's people out there that are even in high school that can probably at least say like what general subjects that they're interested in um, to help lead them. Cause it's, cause it, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, when you were say before, like, I, I love math, like it's not, that's not like a burning sensation when you're sitting down <laughs> at dinner at night, like, Oh, I'm solving math problems. <laughs> that's just you sitting there thinking, okay, what are the things I generally enjoy? Okay. Math is up there. Right. I mean, it's that it's you know, for those things, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be like this burning passion that keeps you up all night. It's just generally, what are you more interested in? Yeah. Maybe I, I like chemistry more than geology. Okay. So I'll, I'll lean that way in the opportunities that I try to create for myself. Um,
2: yeah, I think one thing along that point too, is look to your hobbies. Like my, my whole thing in high school was, you know, I'm going to take every single math class I can. I'm going to try to earn an academic letter and, and get this special award for taking the most math classes like how nerdy is that but when you know when even when I look at other people like when I look at people's resumes kind of thing when I see things on there like on the side I've built a robot to sweep my father's like workshop you know like I've built a laser etcher kind of thing, or I've done this thing just in my spare time, just because I wanted to do it. Those are the things that, that I think that people tend not to realize that there's actual jobs in those things. Um, You know, when I see someone that has on their resume, Oh, I took a class and we 3d printed something. I go, big deal. Everybody has that on their resume. But for the person who says, I have a 3D printer at at home that I built from scratch and I use it to make PPE for COVID related issues. That to me says something way bigger than just taking a class in something. And that, that I think is where the, where you can find those little passion points is if you can, what do you do in your spare time when you could do anything else? And those things are the things that you should look at to where maybe you should kind of view your career heading. Because a lot of people view it like, oh, I have my hobbies and then I have my job. But why don't you make your hobbies your job? I mean,
1: or at I least have
2: at home and right. I use them, but I also do 3D printing for a job as well.
0: I think that's a really good point in we tend to think about like i got a degree in x therefore i am that and that's what i have to do as a job uh whereas your story says like i got a math degree but i'm not a mathematician i I was interested in animals and and i got some knowledge in that but i'm not necessarily doing that right now uh and then i found 3d printing and i went down that road uh but i think there's a lot of people who get stuck in the mindset of like identifying themselves as being like i got a mechanical engineering degree therefore i am a mechanical engineer and that's what i have to do uh but what i'm really excited about doing on the side is doing x y or z even if that's not in like a technical area that could be in something outside of engineering um but there still could be an opportunity to go down that and 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 we've talked with with other people on the show with meha who got an engineering degree but then like moved into marketing um that there are lots of things you can do uh not just necessarily just with an engineering degree, but the fact of like, think outside the area of what your education is, because you don't have to be stuck on that path, or or you can you can change it anytime you want to, like I guess it's easier when you're younger, uh, when you're still in that college before uh, you have some bigger commitments in life. But I still don't think that means that you can never, um, you can never make that, that pivot into something else. And and like you said, I totally agree, like paying attention to what you're doing, um, for your hobbies, for your side projects, like those can be really areas of interest to, to pursue in your in your career path.
2: Absolutely. Like, along that point, too, is people view, uh, you know, education as like, this is an investment you're making, and you don't, you don't divert from it. Like, it's, it's, you've bought this, so you need to commit to it for your whole life. But the world is interdisciplinary. And there's a lot of gray area between different types of jobs, like the fact that a material scientist can be in a mechanical engineering job, simply because of the interdisciplinary role that that different kinds of engineers play and the education, uh, you know, that's really only the backbone to engineering. It's not, it's not the meat of it. It's, it's a lot of the classes that you take in undergrad and graduate school, you'll never use again. And that's not something to say, why do we have to take it? It's something that gives you that like foundational backbone so that if you go into a situation, you're prepared for it so that you don't walk in and go, what's a differential equation? You know, that Oh, differential equations. Let me pull that book out and re and and refresh my memory, you know? Um, And I think a lot of people think that engineering is those classes that you take. And it, it really isn't. Engineering is something entirely different, which is different in every single job that you would ever take. You know, it's it's being able to solve the problems of today using the solutions that, you know, and creating new ones.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a a disconnect. I mean, yeah, between engineering education and and what you actually do in the field. And I think I mean, yeah, to some extent, it's like to what how do you approach it? I think I mean. Teaching critical thinking, and uh, we've talked about. It. And for those listening, that there's an episode Brennan and I did uh, after hours on getting your master's. That'd be one of interest for you if you're if you're thinking about what you gain from that and it, oh, more thinking along this path. But while we have you uh, have your time, Megan, I think what would be awesome for for me and for the listeners, I think, is to understand this idea of what a non-engineering bachelor's degree can give you um, in terms of these skills. And I really I'm more asking this from your current point of now that you are. Program manager, you're, you mean you're an engineer by all attributes in terms of your current work. Looking back and reflecting on what you got from your bachelor's degrees, like when you've looked at students who are getting a non-engineering bachelor's degree, I guess, can you help me and the listeners understand when, it, where is that a good fit for a person? Like I guess how, giving maybe even just giving yourself advice when you were making the, the switch from mechanical to math I, I I'm just really curious as to your thoughts and reflections on that choice and any advice you'd give to people who are maybe thinking about doing a core sciences bachelor's degree as opposed to an engineering bachelor's degree when they have an interest in engineering.
2: Yes, yeah, so I'd say that it it was a it was a decision that I think can go either way um, with getting a math degree. I, I felt hesitation with just a bachelor's trying to go towards engineering. But when you're looking at getting a master's degree after you've had kind of the the mathematics degree, uh, people kind of expect that when you go to a master's degree, oh, you're just going to get that degree and then you're going to be done or that you're going to go and get a master's and then a PhD and then stay there forever before you're done, you know, Um, it's when you have a core like a a math degree or a physics degree and you go into engineering you need to understand that there's more of the upfront uh, catch up than there is the behind trail so a lot of people that view PhDs view it as I'm going to be here for six years you know and eventually get my degree um, for people with those the math and physics. It's more of I'm going to be here for a semester or two before I start my degree. Um, And so it's kind of, you can view that as a pivot point. So like if if you get into it and you say, oh, I don't know if I really like these classes, maybe you can change. But honestly looking back, a lot of my decisions were made on I don't like this class. I'm not going to like this career. And I think that that While it has led me to where I am today, I think that's not a good mentality to have. I think it's, even if you don't like the classes, it doesn't mean you're not going to like the field. And I think internships and anything that you can get in the summer or taking a year off, just to try jobs, even if it's only for a semester, you know, I, I think that gives a lot of perspective, too, on whether you'll like a career path, because when I switched from math to material science, it was different. So I'd say that I may have even had it easier going from math to material science than if say I would have done material science and then gone to a material science uh, master's degree. And the reason I say that is that I basically crammed every single class that was required for, uh, prerequisites for material science and engineering with my master's degree courses and so when I did that it was just a continuous trail of material science related coursework semester after semester you know so uh, when you go and get a material science undergrad as opposed to that you would be going in and you'd take your couple of material science courses here couple, maybe a year later, a few, you know, a year later, and it kind of gets sprinkled in to the engineering program. Whereas I kind of had like the material science boot camp. you know, here's everything you're going to need to know. Then here's the grad courses and you're going to have to learn everything in basically a year and a half. And I feel like it all made a lot of sense as a field as opposed to when you get it sprinkled in as in an undergrad degree. So it's, it's kind of like, it's not for everybody, I would say, but uh, it really, it really was, I guess, very interesting because things like, I remember taking a thermodynamics course as one of my early courses. And I don't know, Brennan might've even been in that class, but when I took the, thermodynamics course it was for material science not not the thermodynamics that me- mechanicals or the others take material science one it's very different um <laughs> and i remember it all just making sense and then all the classes at the same time the material characterization classes all of it flowed together really well because it was just so compact you know when you take an undergrad you're taking Um, you're taking the chemistry classes and the math classes and stuff that sets the foundation for all those coursework that you take towards the end of your undergrad degree. But because I had a math degree, I had all of that coursework required from a math side. And because I was interested in animal behavior, I had most of that coursework already done from the the science side. So for the physics and the chemistries, um, and so I had pretty much everything fundamentally there and then just had to take the really engineer classes all at once. And uh, I honestly think it flowed really well. And I think if you would have asked me at the time, I probably would have told you never do it again. But looking back at it, I I do think it was it was very efficient. And that's one of the things that I love about being an engineer is efficiency. And so I feel like I... I may have taken an inefficient path at first, but in the end, I feel like it was very efficient near the end.
1: <laughs> well, no, that's great. So I think what, um, what digesting what you're saying, what I'm, what I'm kind of taking away from it is the core science degrees as a step to allow you more options. I mean, I think definitely having a core science degree at, at bachelor's, you have a lot of options of where you could go. Um, but if you use that as a stepping stone into grad school, it's a very, very effective tool. And I, the, the people that I've interacted in grad school who have a core science background are usually very, very strong and are are not usually lacking in, in any respect relative to anyone else. So that, that's been my experience. Um, curious as to your thoughts for those thinking about it, though, who plan to only stop at the bachelor's degree. Do you think... Is, I mean, so it's hard, for, obviously in 2009, graduating with a math bachelor's degree was a different situation. But um, for those that think that they they want to stop at a bachelor's degree, do you, do you, would you recommend the core science degree still? Or would you say that as a, as a base bachelor's degree? Um, yeah, I'm just curious to your thoughts there.
2: Hmm. So that's an interesting question. So I would say for the core sciences, it's better to get a master's degree to follow it with a master's degree because a lot of times with the core sciences, you are not as um, well I get okay. So it depends on what your priorities are, right? if If you are okay making a low salary and just doing what you love, like if you love math and you just want to do math all day and you maybe want to be something like a math teacher, you still have to go and do all the education related stuff to become a math teacher um, in order to do something like if you want to just be a, a statistician. They generally don't want people with bachelor's degrees for anything more than like an internship. Um, and so what I've noticed is that in the field, even though I have a master's degree, there's a huge pull for a Ph.D., So people really want for research people with doctorates. And I imagine that if you have a bachelor's, that pull is even stronger that it's like, it's almost like you're missing out on something. And so if you just have a math degree, getting a job as a mathematician is a thing, but I think it's, it's going to set you back in life. I do think that there's, there is opportunity though, because There's different ways that you can get degrees that I didn't know of when I was going through school. Like, for example, the opportunity I had as a postgrad, there's opportunities like that for for people that are interested in pursuing master's degrees. And so you can have like a job and try it out while you're getting a master's degree and end up getting your education paid for. Yeah. So, I mean, when I think about that... I think about how there's an opportunity to go and get a job when you have a bachelor's degree and then get someone else to pay for your master's. Instead of instead of trying to go through and get a bachelor's, then get a, a PhD or a master's, there's this middle step where if you know the right people at the right time, you can get a pretty sweet deal, which is getting other people to pay for your degrees. And a lot of people think that it's it's like a, oh, you have to apply for that kind of thing. But really, it comes down to connections. So if you reach out to the people that you know and say, hey, do you know of any programs that pay for master's degrees? You might find someone who does. And so at least for our organization, we have, we have a lot of people that, that work on our projects that are pursuing degrees. And so like uh, I've got one person right now who's pursuing a master's slash potentially a PhD and he's doing his research on just 3D printing controls, you know? And so he comes into work, he does the research and then he gets a degree out of it, which to me sounds way better than going through getting a research program as a thesis, like for your thesis and figuring out that whole path there's this whole other world of like everything just makes sense and you can go down it. Um, And, and I think that people don't realize that that really exists, that you don't have to separate your thesis, your masters, your PhD from work. You could do it for your work. And I think that that's kind of like a, a, a life changing realization. So everyone that, that, you know approaches me about it. I always am trying to encourage them. you know, hey, if you apply to this job and you have a bachelor's, why don't you pursue a master's because if your work will pay for it or if your work has programs to cover that, then you can basically get a free education
0: <laughs> that's yeah that that is some really that is some really good advice that that a lot of people don't think about. With your current job then, I guess we're, we're, we're coming up on time a little bit, but I really want to um, ask you this, is, is because you're kind of getting to do some really cool novel things that haven't been done before, What what is the most rewarding aspect that you're finding um, of the job that you're doing now and like the career path that you found yourself on?
2: So a lot of my work ends up being very focused on the military, which as I was working through my um, my degrees, I really didn't have at the front of my mind. But when when I got involved with this kind of research and the whole idea of it is to basically reduce logistics for construction, period, and applying that to the military just takes it even further because of how far you are away from everything. And I think honestly, the most rewarding part of this job is directly working with both mil- active duty military, as well as students who are just kind of paving their own path. Uh, Both of them have interesting aspects. When you work with a Marine, that Marine is going to take your directions and do it more efficiently than you could have ever done it. They're going to do it better and faster than you could have imagined it being done. And so when you apply that to something like automating construction, like that, that just goes to a whole nother level. And People are so engaged and passionate about the work that they're able to do things far beyond what you would have predicted it would go towards. So like, I really enjoy getting people to realize their passions. And that sounds strange, right? Like, I, I, when I meet somebody, I tend to ask them instead of, what do you do? You know, a lot of people are like, where do you work? What do you do? What's your degree in? I don't care. I don't, that's not the first thing I think. The first thing I think is, what do you love? What do you want to do? If I was to ask you on this, like if if I was to say Brennan, what is the thing that you love to do more than everything else in the world? And where do you see yourself going? What's the next step? What do you want to do? That's the question I want to ask people. And a lot of times, people have never been asked that before, which is a crazy thing to realize. And and I didn't even realize it myself until, you know, I was working down that path of 3D printing, right? So when I meet somebody new, I ask them, what is your passion? What do you want to do? And usually you will get the most honest answer you will ever hear out of anyone. Some people say, I don't know, and that's okay. Other people will say, you know, honestly, I don't really like doing materials. I would rather do this other thing. And I say, okay, let's do that other thing. If you have a materials degree, it doesn't mean you need to do materials. It means you have the experience of being a materials person. It means you have that backbone. But that doesn't mean that you can't design printers or do some of these other things that you're interested in doing. And and I think because I'm able to take that all the way down to the students that haven't even gotten their degrees yet, I don't think they quite understand the gravity of that. Um, But I at least hope that it, It helps them to move through their path. Instead of confining them to a box, I try to open their box and tell them, where do you want to go? And because I do that, it ends up bringing a lot more success because if you have happy people that are passionate about what they're doing, it doesn't matter if they don't know what they're doing in the very beginning because they will learn it better than someone who is dispassionate and has an education in it. And, and that is honestly the thing that I love most about my job is being able to bring that out in people through research. Because what we do is research and development, right? And if we have someone who's passionate about the material properties of concrete and how to make it flow, that's what, that's what I'll ask you to do. You will learn everything about it because you're passionate. It's the same thing as when we're talking about If someone has a 3D printer at home that they've built themselves and that they've programmed themselves and that they've printed something for somebody, that means something completely different than if you say, I had a class in it that was required. So that is like the foundation of me, I guess. It just goes all the way back to follow your passions, even if you don't know what your passions are, and ask those questions because nobody else asked them.
1: That's fantastic. And I, I don't think there's anything better we could end it on too. And I, I mean, I love even the point to hiring managers and managers just in general, like you can't teach passion. You can't pay someone for passion. That's such fantastic advice. And I mean, along with everything you said today, Megan, this has been fantastic. I really, really appreciate your time coming on the show, giving your advice, giving your story. Um, I'm sure many people will uh, appreciate it and, and learn from it and, and hopefully really get excited about what they're passionate about. Cause that's, I mean, a huge, just a huge piece uh, to take away. So with that, yeah, I'd like to say thanks for being on the show. really appreciate your time.
2: Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks for inviting me.
1: Awesome. Right. Thanks. See you. Bye-bye.
2: Bye.
0: Megan's story is way, like, deeper and more amazing than I thought. Uh, I, I knew Megan for a little bit in college. We overlapped for a few years doing some research stuff. Um, but there, there's so much here I didn't know. And, and it's amazing to hear it. Like, like, She's, she's followed such a unique path that has led her to a place where she really wants to be. And I think that's amazing.
1: Yeah, I think it's, this is one of the things that, so the long form that we go into, I mean, right. People, people wonder, well, should I, should I do a 15 minute podcast, should I do an hour podcast? And part of this for the Joe Rogan experience listeners out there, one of the things I love about his three hour format is he really brings in people for an extended period of time where you get to learn more than what you think you would have learned from them. And this is a great example of that with, with uh, this hour long episode from Megan is that I think we're able to pull out a lot of great things that, that we wouldn't have had we just asked her five questions in a 15 minute format. Cause we really got to hear a lot about her story um, and why she did the things that she did. And I, I, I I really enjoyed it. And you know, her big arching theme of follow your passion. I mean, that's hard to, to do in, in, and what does that look like? Here's a story here. You can see it. I thought it, how it played out for her and how it, you know, it didn't work out necessarily initially for her, right? I mean, you could, you could argue 2009, she's sitting there in 2009 following her passion. You might think, well, that didn't really work out for her because it got her to a struggle point of what to do. But look, at it, 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 it's not necessarily a short-term thing. It's a life philosophy that eventually gets you there. And yeah, it may take a few turns, but, If you continue to follow it, it gets you to a great place. And I think that's, that's one of my big takeaways from this is, you know, the follow your passion thing is a a general philosophy. And sometimes it's, it still means there's struggle and really hard struggle as with anything else, but why not aim for that? Like, why, you know, why, why would you not aim for that following? And I think she gave some great information about, you know, how do you, how do you think about what your passion is? What are your hobbies? What do you like to do if there's, if you had time, how can you turn that into a career?
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think for me, a big standout from her story is that you don't start off on one path and you're always stay on that path. Like Things are going to twist and turn. And you might go backwards and coming back around again to where you are and go somewhere else. Uh, I mean, she she started off in engineering, worked in a, like, a factory job and said, I don't want to do this. Moved to math, uh, wanted to work with animals, learned psychology, uh, material science, 3D printing, like, like so many different things that, at least for me, I think when I started out in college, I thought I'm going to be you know, school to be a mechanical engineer. I'm going to follow that path. And that's what it's going to be. Cause that's what I'm doing. Right. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's what, that's what people do. Uh, but clearly like that is not always the best, uh, the best course for everyone. And I think for her, like taking a core science uh a path initially of getting a math degree and then like taking that to do something completely el- completely different in engineering is a good application of seeing where you could go down one path but you can still use that somewhere else and you can still learn all these different things along the way and if you don't experiment with different things you're interested in you're not going to find uh the thing you like because if you stay on a kind of a one track course you might think like this is what I like doing. So I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, but then you might find yourself f- five, 10, 15 years down the road being like, this isn't really what I wanted to do, but I never explored anything else. And now I feel stuck. And I think her like, when she asks someone what are you passionate about and they've never thought about that before like that's something really important to think about early not that your passions won't change but if you're not in tune with that you might be going down a path that isn't ultimately what you want to be doing for you know 30 years of your career or whatever so i think it's really important for people to understand th- things can always change
1: right i don't think there's anything wrong with the mentality of i'm just going to go to work to work and like live outside of work like i i don't i guess my my question to you though if that's your mindset is why not at least try have a job that's related to your passion like yeah if it it ends up being that you you know you just got to have a job to to get the money so that you can live your life outside of work like okay but you have opportunity to at least try to work in in your in what you enjoy so why not like i don't know
0: yeah if you're going to spend like the majority of your waking hours for a good part of your life doing it you might as well be trying to find the one thing that you want to do right
1: so all right man well hey Thanks for your time.
0: Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, let, give, let us know what you think about the episode. Feel free yeah. to reach out. And uh, we'll see you next time.
1: Yeah. Especially, yeah. The, the, uh, curious to people's thoughts on the the format. Do people like the hour format? Do, do you like, you, would you like a shorter one? Would Yeah. Let us know your thoughts on the, the time format too. That'd be helpful.
0: Yeah. All right. Bye. Perfect. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Engineer Your Career with Troy Bauman and Brennan Timrak. For more information about the show, visit our website at eycpodcast.com. There you can find show notes for each episode and get in touch with Troy and I. If you or someone you know are an engineer with an interesting or even not so interesting career journey and would like to be on the show, go on the website, send us a short bio, and we may just invite you to come on and share your story. And finally, if you want to show your support, please rate, review, like, or subscribe to the show on your podcast player of choice.